Hello, good morning again. I am not preaching this morning. Can we get an amen? <laughs> I let my guitar do the talking. So I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Steve Murphy and uh, just want to give you a little bit of his bio here. Um, he is the son of Bob and Ruth Ann Murphy who have been part of East Point since before it was East Point. They are pillars of this church. Um, Bob is one of the guys who painted the only God can uh, sign up on the roof. The guy's 86 years old, still going. He's a rock. So that tells you that Steve comes from some good stock. Um, Steve grew up at Norton Church of Christ, which now is East Point. So he's been uh, part of this church for his whole life. Uh, he's married to Teresa for 35 years, has three kids, a son and daughter-in-law, and two foster grandkids. They've been at Discover Christian Church since 2004, and it's their third time being on staff there, which, I don't know, man, I don't get that, but, like, you'll have to ask him out in the lobby. That's, that's crazy. Um, and uh, they've been in ministry since 1986 in Dublin, Huntington, West Virginia, Costa Rica, and Venezuela. So this guy's been around. He knows some stuff, and we're excited for him to share with you this morning. Mr. Steve Murphy. Thanks, brother. You know, Scott, um, I know your guitar can sing, but I know you can sing and you could preach too, brother. I'm confident of that. Well, I have auto-tune for the singing, but I don't know about the preaching. <laughs> I, I think you do a great job. But anyway, we preach in different ways, man. Our lives are supposed to be a sermon, right? So that's the main thing. Um, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, as Scott said, I grew up at, at Norton, now East Point, and um, I'm so grateful for the people that had the vision to start the church many, many, many years ago, and I'm so grateful that the ministry continues today, and you guys have a great church, great leaders. Um, I know most of your staff, in fact, Melanie, who's your new children's minister, was on um, a staff as an intern at Discover a few years ago, and so you guys just have a great team, and i um, very grateful for your elders and your leaders, and thankful for you for being faithful too, because God has part of this ministry for every one of us, right? So we're excited about um, just what God's going to continue to do. So we're going to continue in the book of Acts, as has been mentioned, we're going to be in chapter 9. But before we go back 2,000 years, I want to go back a couple of decades, well, more than two, but a few decades. So I don't remember this story incredibly well, but it's been told about me, so I guess it must be true, and I'm going to share it with you. So it was a Sunday morning like this, so like the children's ministry stuff is happening, you know, we were back in the children's ministry area. I don't know exactly how old I was, probably around six or something, but um, me and my friend had to go to the bathroom. Now here's the first key. If you're one of the children's ministry people, when the six-year-olds say, I need to go to use the restroom, you don't say, okay, you guys go find it on your own, okay? Don't do that. Not a good idea, at least not if I'm in part of the story. So we went and um, we, we may have gone to the bathroom. I don't know if we actually did that or not, but I do know this. We ended up behind the baptistry, like, you know, there, and, and we were kind of like splashing around in the water. Bill Walker was the senior minister at the time, and uh, he got the attention. I think it was Pete Payton or somebody like that. I don't remember who it was, but he got the attention of somebody, and um, that guy came and rescued us before we drowned. But I guess, supposedly, these words came out of my mouth. Go ahead. It's not deep. So that was nice. Yeah. Here's what I think was going on, though. The Holy Spirit was just trying to get me to help him get into the baptistry to get baptized. That's probably what it really was. It's good motivation, good heart. Yeah, maybe not. So, but um, good intentions. But man, dangerous potential results, right? 
I mean, think of what could have happened in that scenario. And today, we're going to look at Saul, who had really good intentions, but there were some dangerous things that were going on in his life. So, let's pray, and then we'll dig into the Word. Father God, we thank you for your Word. Um, it changes us. It instructs us. It helps us. And this morning, God, we simply ask that whatever message you have for each of us would be heard and absorbed into our lives. Thank you for who you are. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 9, and we're eventually going to read the whole chapter, so just hang with me, okay? But we're going to start off by reading uh, just several verses here to start off. And I'm using the New Living Translation today. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So there are two main characters in this first section. There's Saul, obviously, and then there's Jesus. But let's look at Saul first. This guy has strong convictions, right? I mean, he is passionate and he has strong actions. And it's okay to have strong passion. It's okay. That's a good thing. Like, you might know how to finish this phrase, O-H, right? Because you have a passion for Ohio State, right? Or whatever. Maybe you have a passion for cars or technology or clothing or entertainment or, you know, maybe even religion. But it's okay to have passion. Saul had a lot of it. The problem is that passion can be for the wrong thing. Your passion can be mistaken. And that's what's going on in Saul's life. He's very passionate in a religious way, but he's not passionate about what God really is doing in the world. And we often equate passion with being right, especially in our world today. It wasn't quite this way 150 years ago, but now it's like the person with the most passion, with the loudest voice, ends up being the leader. To be really honest, passion is fine, but passion does not define right or wrong. So somebody can be very passionate, very excited, very loud, very demonstrative, very engaging, but if they aren't passionate about the right things, it doesn't really mean much. I mean, to be really honest, this happens in the church. They say, oh, that speaker was full of the Holy Spirit. You know, and it, it might just be because they were kind of loud and engaging. Jesus said, here's how you tell if a person is right or not. It's by their fruit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit isn't loudness and passion. 
I mean, those things, again, aren't bad. They don't deny that. They don't make it go away. But, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if those things are in a person's life, then we know they have the Holy Spirit. So again, it's fine to be loud and passionate. That's good. But you've got to be passionate about the right things. And we shouldn't use passion as the defining thing to say whether that person is walking with God or not. It's, it's the fruit of their lives. It's how they walk. It's whether what they're passionate about is right or wrong. Because you can be fully passionate and be fully mistaken. Interestingly, Paul talks about this kind of idea himself. Again, he's very passionate. In, in Philippians chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 4, he says, in, Indeed, if others have a reason for their confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. When I was eight days old, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, he's saying I was passionate. But then he goes on, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. If you're passionate about the right things, then it's good. If not, everything you're chasing after, all the things you're seeking, Paul says they're garbage. His triumphs are now trash compared to Jesus. And that's what we need to keep in mind for our own lives. The other main character in this first section is, of course, Jesus. And I love what Mike said, that that, that whole series from C.S. Lewis is just great about the Chronicles of Narnia. Is Jesus safe? Well, maybe not safe, but he is good. Jesus is good. And that's what we see here. Jesus is good because Saul is on the wrong team. He's actually persecuting Jesus. And Jesus says, I want him on my team. Saul pursues Christians, and Jesus pursues Saul. Aren't you glad that that's our story as well? Romans 5.8 says that when we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Not when we were doing everything right. Not when we were going, oh God, I'm following every step of your, your plan. It's when we were still sinners, that's when Jesus died for us. That's a beautiful story. I'm so grateful that God is good. I'm so grateful that God has passion about the right things. So as we think of this first section, we might just ask ourselves, am I passionate? Am I right? Am I neither or am I both? And you can figure this out on your own, right? Am I passionate about stuff? I mean, we shouldn't be non-passionate, right? We should be passionate about Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, listen, I wish you were either hot or cold. This lukewarm thing, it, it really makes me want to throw up. Several years ago, some of you remember a, a Christian artist named Keith Green. He wrote so many good songs of just convicting lyrics. And one that really just impacted my life was called Asleep in the Light. And the words are this. Do you see, he's speaking to the church, church, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? 
You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Well, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he, he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. May that not be true of us. May we have passion for Jesus. Again, do I have passion? And do I have passion for the right things? Just ask yourself, what am I truly pursuing? What am I really excited about? And in the end, is it going to make any difference? A year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, into eternity, is my passion meaningful or not? If you have neither passion nor you're on the right track, you're following Jesus, that I assume there's nobody in this room that's in that place, right? Or even online probably. Probably you are passionate at some degree and you're following Jesus. But let me just say, if you have neither passion nor are you following the right things, that's a really dangerous place to be. Get off that track and get on the Jesus track today. And then hopefully, am I both? I have a passion, but it's for the right things. And when that's the case, that's when the Holy Spirit empowers your life and the Holy Spirit guides you. And God makes a tremendous impact, whether it's visible or not. All right, so let's jump in and read the rest of this chapter. We're going to start in verse 10 and go all the way to the end. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about... Whoops, you know what? I'm in the wrong chapter. Everybody awake? Good. All right. I was like, wait, that's, that's in Philippians. Okay. We're in Acts chapter 9, starting verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus, or from Saul, <laughs> from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was, ba then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. 
When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. All right, so there's a lot there. But again, we want to talk about some of the characters. We're going to talk about the main character again first, and his name is Saul. So in this section, we see his life unfolding in a brand new way. And what, what is really impressive to me about Saul is he changes his passion, right? He still has passion, but instead of going against Jesus, he is now for Jesus. And as we seek God, if we truly seek God with our hearts, which is what he was doing, he really thought he was doing the right thing. As we seek God, I believe that even if we are incorrect, God, as we seek him, will correct us. And he will change our passion to the things that he is passionate about to make a difference in his name. And Saul was humble, and he obeyed, and his life was changed, and God used him. Some of you know that John Newton was a former slave ship captain. And when he finally came to terms with who Jesus was, his life changed. His passions changed. And he wrote a song you may have heard once or twice. It's called Amazing Grace. And in that song, he said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And ultimately, that's our story too. We, we pursued things that were different from what God wanted, but God pursued us and found us, and we can now see so this once blind man, Saul, blind to the good news of Jesus, now proclaims the good news of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But he did that as he completely surrendered to God. And so I have to ask myself, you should ask yourself too, is there any area in my life where I've stopped short of full surrender? Usually when people say, when, where was Saul converted? People say on the road to Damascus. That's partially true. That's where he encountered Jesus. That's where his conversion began. But it continued. When he was in Damascus, Ananias came to him and he said, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to have your life transformed and wash away your sins and be baptized and then go do what God says to do. So it started on the road, but it went through his entire life. And I have to just ask myself, is there any place in my life where I've kind of stopped and God has said, you're not done yet. You need to fully surrender and allow my Holy Spirit to change you. Well, 
I want you to look at the same verses. Well, I won't, we won't read all those verses again, but Saul is the main character. But there are several other characters here, and maybe one of these, honestly, for you, is the one you will identify with the most, and the Holy Spirit will say something to you in your spirit today through one of them. First, we have this guy named Judas. We don't know how it happened, but Saul ends up in the home of Judas. Now, this isn't the Judas who was the apostle who betrayed Jesus and later killed himself. This is a different Judas, and this is literally everything we know about him. But how cool is it that this unnamed guy had a, had a part in God's story? I mean, not un, unnamed, but unknown guy. And I have to ask myself, Am I like looking for glory? Am I trying to to make a big name for myself so people will think about me and know me? Or am I simply saying, hey, I've got this one thing that God really wants to do. And his story is going to happen as he uses me for this. And that's great with me. Are we asking ourselves, you know, are we saying yes? God, whatever it is, just use me. Hospitality. That's awesome. I'll use that. We also don't know much about Ananias. Interestingly, this guy, Ananias, when Paul tells his story of his conversion later, he tells it in Acts chapter 22. There's also his story in Acts chapter 26, so we get more of this whole story that we read in Acts 9. But when Paul is talking about it in Acts chapter 22, he says this about Ananias. He says, this is a man who is godly. This is a man who did everything to follow God's law as much as he could. This is a man who was well regarded. But isn't it interesting? All of those things are true about Ananias, and yet when God says, here's what I want you to do, what's he say? He basically says, are you crazy to God? (laughs) Like, are you serious? Why in the world would you want me to go to this guy who's killing people? I mean... I'm following Jesus, and this guy is like killing Jesus. Have you seen what's going on down here, God? Do you know what what this story is? But what I love about Ananias' story is he questions what God wants him to do. Maybe that's not horrible. As long as we say, ultimately, God, I'm going to still follow your plan. And that's what he does. He says, okay, God, I don't understand everything about what you're saying here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love people who who see somebody who is now starting to follow Jesus, and they say, I'm going to go be with them. Like Ananias could have said, have you not heard? And stopped. God, this person is doing bad things. Have you seen his life? Have you seen how he hurts people? People that follow you. I don't even believe that what he's saying is true. I think he's just faking it. We ever do that? That person can't be a following Jesus. I've seen stuff in their life. Or I can't forgive that person because they've hurt me or somebody that I love. And it's a hard place. It's a hard thing to get there. But I think that's what God wants us to do. And do you notice the very first word that Ananias says to Saul, what is it? Brother. Wow, that's a powerful word. 
Saul, who had been persecuting Christians, is now one of them. He is a brother. And Ananias welcomes him and helps him in his conversion to Jesus. Another guy does something very similar. It's Barnabas. When, when Saul ends up in Jerusalem, there's this guy named Barnabas. What's interesting is his name wasn't really Barnabas. That was a nickname. His original name was Joseph. That's a good Bible name. But why is he called Barnabas? Well, Barnabas means son of encouragement. And the reason Barnabas got that name was because that's who he was. He was an encourager. He was constantly helping others, building them up, using his gifts. He brought Saul. No one believed, again, his story of conversion. And he brought him into the family. He said, I'm going to use my weight, my influence to talk about him. And I want you to bring him into the family and to welcome him. And Barnabas was a huge person in the church. It was like Barnabas. And then it's Barnabas and Saul or Paul. And then it's Paul and Barnabas. And eventually it's just Paul. As you go through the book of Acts. But I think Barnabas was okay with that. I mean, you know the story of, you know, they split up. But Barnabas kept encouraging the young man, right, John Mark, and then later John Mark ends up with Paul, because Barnabas was just like that. He just cared about helping and encouraging others. And I have to ask myself, do I do that, or do I think, you know, I'm just not going to worry about that person because I don't like some of the stuff they've done, or now they're becoming more important than I am, they have more influence, and I'm going to start talking bad about them. Then, again, there's Saul. He's persecuted now. It's funny, the persecutor becomes the persecuted. And that sometimes happens. Like when people follow Jesus, they begin to realize, hey, there's stuff that comes back on you, right? It's not following God. That's okay. But when you say Jesus, man, that changes the whole thing. And so sometimes people will mock followers of Jesus and they'll make fun of them or they'll persecute them. It doesn't happen too much in our country, but it's happening throughout the world in alarming ways. And some will even say, this is amazing. Some will say, well, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church. And sometimes that's because the church has done some really bad and stupid things. So I can understand why people might feel that way. But if you say, I really love Jesus, but I don't like the church, it's a little bit like going, next, next time you go to a, a wedding, go up to the groom and say, dude, I really like you, but I can't stand your bride. I don't think the groom's going to be any more okay with that than Jesus is with people saying they're not okay with the church. Jesus is going to defend the church. Jesus is going to empower the church. And I think we need to do that for each other. We need to follow this example of Jesus, this example of, of Barnabas, this example of Ananias, and say brother and sister to each other. And look at the un, unnamed believers in this story, right? They had been persecuted by Saul 
And yet they're the ones who end up protecting him. They make sure that he is safe so that he can continue with his mission that God has given him. And so like, like these people, we need to say, you know what? You're my brother. You're my sister. Some of the things I've done probably have hurt you. Some of the things you've done have hurt me. But we're going to forgive each other. We're going to walk forward. We're going to be united. And we're going to take the name of Jesus to the world as we defend one another. I think one of the keys for me as I read through this chapter is just, I think God is saying, whatever your role is in my story, I want you to use what I've given you to make a difference. It's, it's what Peter also writes in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve each other. We need to do that. We have a tradition in our student group, our teens, that when they go to a, our summer conference, they end up on the last day getting a word written on their arm. And this is from just a couple weeks ago. Uh, our students were there, and uh, you can see some of the words there, probably. This was a tradition that was started a few years ago. And what I love about it is sometimes it's recognizing in one of these students something they may not even see in themselves. And it's calling them to recognize what God is doing in their lives and to continue growing in that area. And again, I think God has given all of us these gifts to use. And we need to recognize what they're for and use them for His glory and to make a difference. But as much as we would think, okay, what word would someone write on my arm? I think it's just as powerful, maybe more powerful to say, what word that was negative would have been written about me in the past, but now isn't true anymore? Like for Saul, it would have been persecutor. But that word no longer applies. His life has been changed. How has God changed your life in amazing ways? There's a guy named AJ, and he grew up in a Christian home. But when he got to be around 20 or so, he decided that was just not for him anymore. In fact, he liked to hang out with one of his friends who, whose name was Jacob. And Jacob kind of made fun of the church and made fun of people who followed Jesus. And he said, that's just a bunch of stupid stuff. And AJ and Jacob, they would often go out and get drunk and just live kind of wild, like the lost son in Luke 15. One night, AJ was at a hotel, and he was pretty messed up himself, but he heard in the room next door, it sounded like the guy was dying, like literally dying, and it sounded like he was like, I don't know, old, like me old, like an old guy. And um, it made him think. He stopped and said, what am I doing? Maybe I need to return back to God, back to my faith. But then he thought of Jacob, his friend, and he was like, oh, if I do that, man, Jacob is going to make fun of me. I'm just not going to deal with that tonight. When he got up the next morning, he asked one of the hotel employees, 
what happened to the guy next door. He said, did that old guy end up living or dying? And the hotel employee said, that guy wasn't old. He was like your age. And he didn't make it. And his name was Jacob. And he thought, what in the world am I doing? And he went back to his home And for the next three months, A.J. kind of wrestled and struggled, and he couldn't figure out what he was supposed to do. But he ended up turning his life back to the Lord. And A.J. is Adoniram Judson, who was the father of American missions, who went out and started a bunch, did a bunch of mission work, and a bunch of people followed his example and footsteps as missionaries went throughout the world. So have people seen an amazing change in your life? Have they seen an amazing change in my life? And if not, why not? Whether you identify more with Saul or Ananias or Barnabas or one of the other believers in this story, be confident that God wants to use you for the rest of your life. There was a guy and his wife, husband and wife, were driving and ended up in a bad car accident. And uh, it was a bad situation. She was in very serious danger. And the guy looked up and he noticed the mailbox right next to where they had crashed and it said, Dr. Smith. And he was like, this is so good. Thank you, God. And so he ran to the, to the door and knocked on the door and he said, Dr. Smith, I need your help. My wife is in very bad shape. She may not even live. And Dr. Smith is an older man and he said, well, I'm sorry. I used to be a doctor, but I don't practice anymore. And there's nothing I can do to help you. And the man said, would you do me a favor then? Would you take down your sign? Because you're advertising something that you're not doing. And as followers of Jesus, if we wear the name Jesus and we're not doing what God wants us to do, we need to take the sign off. We need to say, okay, I really don't follow Jesus. Because if you say you follow Jesus, it means you are there. It means you're using your gifts. It means God has empowered you to do something. So let's do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the truth that we see in your word. God, we pray whatever message it it has been for us this morning, um, that we would take that to heart and that you would change us and make us more like Jesus. God, we thank you for your church here at East Point and throughout the world. God, would you use us for your glory? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.